I'm going to finish talking about the last sermon we're going to do on prayer for a while. But hopefully, uh, God's going to teach us something even more today. As we begin our period of fast uh, uh, two weeks ago and into the third week, for those of you who chose to participate or felt led to participate, thank you. I survived the week without coffee, didn't, didn't, didn't holler at my wife or nothing. Um, that's pretty cool. And I, and I remember every time I wanted, I wake up in the morning, I'm saying, Lord, I want that coffee so bad, but I, I want to I wanna pray. Because every time I felt the craving, I was praying. And that's pretty neat. Because it reminded me of what really is important sometimes. It's just not the coffee. Then I gave up Facebook. And that was really cool because I hadn't had to deal with anybody this week on Facebook. But I got to talk to God a lot. And my, you know, things had kind of popped up, and I said, oh, Lord, I need to talk to you, Lord. I need to be praying. So uh, this week, hopefully, you'll give up something that's very meaningful to you. And in the process this week, I want to ask you to pray specifically for lost people. As you get that craving, that, ah, oh, I wish I, I need, oh, I can't, I want to do this so bad. I want you to pray for lost people. And let God begin to do something in our lives. As we come together and change people's stories, I, uh, God, please, God, please, is what I want to talk about today. I had a, a years and years ago. Here's where I learned to be careful how I said things from the pulpit. I had uh, my first church I pastored. I drove from my neighborhood 45 minutes to my first church. And uh, I was a young guy in our neighborhood, a little boy, and he wanted to go to church with us. His parents didn't go to church, and so we would take him to church with us on Sunday. His name was Robert, and he was a cool little kid. And so we would take him. I remember one day preaching on, God wants to save you, and God desires to save you, and you need to be saved. And so, you know, uh, and, and so on the way home, he says, I know what you're talking about. I thought, well, this is cool, man. This guy's heard. He's convicted and ready to be saved. He said, you know, I, re- I, re- I know what you're saying. I was playing under the bleachers the other day at, at my brother's ball game, and, and, and uh, a ball bat fell off the bleachers and, and didn't hit me in the head. I, God saved me. I guess it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Then I realized, okay, I might need to explain just a little more because he... He saw it one way. I'm convinced today people see being saved in a lot of different ways. How they get there, what it really means. So, here's what I want you to know. Praying for the salvation of others is every believer's responsibility. Every believer's responsibility. Well, what does that look like? I just want to share two thoughts with you and a couple of stories that hopefully will explain it and put flesh on it, this skeleton of responsibility. So here we go. First of all, you pray with personal passion and patient persistence for the salvation of others. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 10, chapter 1. I mean, Romans, Romans 10, verse 1. Here's what he said. Dear brothers and sisters, don't you love it when he says dear? That means we're, we're family. We're a family. We're a good family. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing, the intense desire, 
The deep satisfaction of my heart. That's what he's saying. The earnest desire of my heart. Every day that I live. This is what he's saying. My, my longing, my earnest desire, my deepest soul satisfaction, and my prayer, my conversation with God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Saved from what? To be saved from the penalty and power of sin. To be saved from the deception of what it means to be right with God. To be finally be right with God through a thing called faith. He is praying because every day he would go up and down the marketplace and, and he would see his fellow countrymen who were bound by legalism and ritualism and overwhelmed with the religions, religious activity, and yet they didn't know God. They could talk, use his name. They would talk about him in some form or fashion. They would wear Bible verses, but they did not know him. And it broke his heart. It, it bothered him more than he could say here. I, my, the longing of my heart that is this deep satisfaction is to see people saved. The greatest pleasure I could ever experience is to see people saved. It's a dominating desire for people to be saved from death and self-destruction. Because the lost person is destined for a place and a life forever, eternity separated from God. For the believer, our hope is in heaven. For the unbeliever, there's no hope left and left only with the destination of a place called hell. It's very tragic. And for this, Paul understood that his fellow countrymen who wanted to know God so bad went about the wrong way. And so he's overwhelmed with this. And he said, my prayer, and that prayer is, I'm praying and praying again. It's not just the passion of I want people saved. The deep cry of deep within him every day was, God, I want people saved. I want to see this person saved. I want to see this person saved. And I, I want them to come to you. I want them to be saved. And he would pray that prayer again and again and again and again and again and again and again because it was patient persistence. There's sometimes people didn't respond when he preached or what he shared, and there's sometimes they did. Sometimes many did, sometimes a few did, but he would never stop saying, I just want to share. Sometimes they threw rocks at him. They weren't nice to him. They put him in prison. But he said, my desire again and again, if I go to prison every time I preach, I wanted people to be saved. And so we find this deep passion for this. To happen. And he prayed for the salvation of those around him. Do you realize if you are a believer today, if you if you have a testimony of being saved, that's because somewhere someone prayed for you. Might have been your mom or your dad or your best friend. It might have been in a church service. Someone prayed for you. Or perhaps someone is praying for you now and you've not yet responded to the call of salvation. But I promise you, 
It starts with prayer. If you want to go to the very first, to me, the greatest salvation prayer I've ever read about is found going back over 2,000 years to the place of the skull outside of Jerusalem where Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world, our substitute took our place, hung on a cross. And with those struggling words because breath was no longer coming easy, he said, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do it. Meaning, Father, I'm praying for their salvation. This is why I'm hanging here. This is why I'm dying. This is why I'm bleeding. I pray that they would be saved. That they would come to a point of decision to trusting what he did on the cross. That's salvation. And you know what happened? I believe the centurion that stood at the foot of the cross that saw this whole historical event unfold said, surely this is the Son of God. I like to believe he met Jesus somewhere in that process because he saw a man cry from the cross, forgive them, forgive them. Forgive the ones who nailed me here. Forgive the ones who cried for my crucifixion and forgive those whose Sins I have paid for, meaning you and me. Now, he also reached down and touched a guy named Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. He said, I'm the guy you're persecuting me. <laughs> I'm the guy. And I want you to know, Saul, I prayed for you on the cross. I've been looking, I've been running after you, man. Been chasing you down. And I want you to make a decision. He got Saul of Tarsus' attention. It became Paul who wrote Romans 10 saying, it's my heart's desire that men will be saved as I'm saved. That's what he's saying. That men and women, young people will be saved as I've been saved. To meet the living Lord, the resurrected Christ. Man. On the cross he prayed for our, our salvation with the greatest desire and passion imaginable. But there's something else. We pray for an understanding of truth and an openness to faith that brings grace for salvation. Okay, here's the thing I want you to get. We pray, Lord, save people, and that's great. But I think we need to become a little more specific in how we pray because it does something to us. When we pray more specifically. And so here's what the Apostle Paul said, and here's why his desire is so real. First, for they don't understand the way of making people right with himself. They don't understand that. They're refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. We call that good works. Being very religious, performing rituals or ceremonies that make you feel like you're making progress with God, but really they only push you further away from God. For the person that goes by a list of rules, thinking if I keep these rules, I'm going to know God. No, you get further away from God. 
He said, they don't understand how God makes people right with himself. Do you realize we live in a culture today that has no understanding of how that happens? None. They really believe sometimes it's how you think and it's positive thinking or maybe it's, it's really doing good things or being very kind or being very tolerant or being all these things that we can do from a human perspective or maybe we can go to a church of our choice or a denomination or some religious organization and get really involved and give our money and give our time and if we'll do these things in such a way that God will say, man, you guys have made it. Because here's what he says, you can keep the law. He said, my people, my, my countrymen think if you keep the law, you're going to be right with God. And they're very committed to that. They're very dedicated to that thinking. And they will argue. He said, they've thrown stones at me for telling them it's not true. But it is not true because I st- Paul says, I stand as a testimony of what grace will do. And so, therefore, Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Simply it. That is it. So when we pray for people, we pray, God, that they would have their eyes open to see truth about you and about them. That they would see the deception of religion, whatever it may be, whatever flavor of denomination or religious organization they choose to be a part of. May they see it for what it really is. For I promise you, the other religions of the world, the non-Christian religions, meaning those who leave Christ out as, as, as uh, God in flesh and Savior of the world, his atonement on the cross, they base everything they do on works. It's all coming. They can use terminology we use, but when you get to the very sure thing of it, it has to do with works. And Paul said, nobody can work that much to make themselves right with God. And so he said, here's what I want. They don't understand. So I want you to pray. You pray. You pray for people to have an understanding. Now, what does that understanding embrace? Because Ephesians chapter 2, same author, the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Now, we know this verse. For, for God saved you by his grace. Grace when you believed. Not when you achieved when you believed. Mm. See, most people think it's a matter of achievement. Achieve different levels of getting better and getting better and getting better. I'll talk to people a lot of times, say, I want you to come to church. Well, I'm not good enough to come to church, but I'm working on it. Oh, my goodness. Don't do that. You can't work that hard. What you need to do has already been done in Christ. You just need to receive that by faith. And so we said, you're saved. Look at this. You're saved by his grace. Grace is, <laughs> is getting something you do not deserve. And in God's world, it's called salvation. It's bringing you to his family, making you a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We don't deserve that because we don't, we've never looked for God first. We've never sought God first. We've always sought ourselves first. And he said, I want you to know, God's made the first move. He let his son down the cross. He's convinced you it was for you. And now you need to receive this gift of eternal life. He wants to give you a new beginning with a perfect ending. He wants to save you from the penalty and power of sin. When you believe, 
when you believe. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. That's why nothing you do matters except believe, which is an act of faith, and he gives you the seed of faith to do that. You can't even take credit for that. You just use it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Salvation is not a reward. It's an act of grace. It's a gift. It's been done in the person of Christ. And there's a moment when I transfer my trust and my faith from trying to work it out on my own, trying to make it on my own, and try to get there by accomplishment or achievement that I really missed the boat altogether. It's very sad. It's very sad that people believe you're saved by works and they'll never know God that way. And yet we have people sometimes in our family or our closest friends or people we work with that they will believe that and they will tell you that. And we pray persistently and we pray for them and we try to take opportunities to share truth. But we pray that they will somehow have the deception broken down and they see truth. And you pray that they would have understanding of grace and faith. If they would transfer their trust from a religion, a denomination, or achievement to the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's where our salvation lies. So we, we pray for the truth of grace to break the deception of good works. Man, we pray for the love of God to become undeniable. It is God's desire that all would be saved. So we can pray for anybody and everybody. I don't care how bad they are, how mean they are. We can pray for, for let me say something. Next Sunday night, Eric's got an event coming that... Uh, you know, Super Bowl Sunday and all that good stuff. And so uh, we're hoping to have 200, 250 youth over here in the Muslim area. And we're working. It's going to be cool. It's a couple of churches have come together. Uh, uh, number one, it's a great cooperative event. But also, they're going to be sharing the gospel at the halftime. Um, and, uh, and so we pray. I want you to start praying now for that. We pray that God would touch some young person's heart that's struggling and don't know how life's supposed to work and looking for purpose and been maybe beat up emotionally or struggling or, or trying to find truth. And, and he, I pray that next Sunday night that'll happen. So this week, you kind of pray that often when you're in your process of fasting. We pray for that person in your life, that friend. May I challenge you to start a list if you don't have one of people you pray for? Specifically, it's a page just for salvation, not for instance, just for salvation. I hope all these people would be saved, that they would understand truth, that they would experience your love undeniably. You, and, and may I say to you, as you make that list, you, you pray for them, you might want to write down how you pray for them sometimes. Say, so, Lord, I'm praying that there'll be a breakthrough in their deception today. And wouldn't that be cool? And, and you say, why do we do that? Because as you pray, it's amazing what God will say to you. He may say, I want you to go say, I want you to go talk to that person. I've set the table for you. Just go do it. You see, that's what we understand. And when we have that desire to pray for them. We also have that desire to share with them and are ready to do so. Uh, George Mueller, 
great man of prayer and faith, uh, did several orphanages based on faith. He never asked anyone for money. When the cupboards were bare, he'd go pray, and people would bring groceries by, or people would give money. Most phenomenal. There were so many stories in his diary of answers to prayer. If you've never read that, you ought to read it. But there, he was always very specific and persistent and passionate about praying for those he knew to be lost. He had a list. And when they were saved, he would write the date down they were saved. And he would pray persistently again and again and again. And so there came a time his health broke and he was basically dying. And, and, and in the conversation, they were talking about the things that God had done in his life and the things he had accomplished. And someone said, what about your list of people that you prayed for to be saved? Not all of them have been saved. Here's what he said. I want you to know, when am I die, my prayers are going to go on. And I, I believe everyone on my list will be saved eventually, even when I'm not here. That's the power of prayer. It's pretty cool. I, 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 think, I think that's what we understand. You make a list. You pray for the salvation of your family, your children, your grandchildren. You say, well, they're small. Your prayers go on. Your prayers go on. You pray for them now. I don't care if they're, man, I, mine's about to be two. My grandchild, I'm praying now. One day I am going to die. I'm not going to be here, but my prayers are going to go on. And so I, I understand this. So, so we, we, we get this. And, and then uh, you pray for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your friends, for the power of prayer continues after we are gone. Pray as though their life depends on it because it does. Last story. Uh, Met a young man in a convenience store. He, he had uh, uh, visited church, and this was in my second church. And I was just kind of reminiscing people I've prayed for over the years. I, I, and people I have, I, you know, there's guys I pray for. Right now I'm praying for a guy that's been, it'll be 21 years. I'm still praying for a guy here. Not giving up. 21 years. Uh, but I, this young man, I, I prayed over him, and he'd come to church some. And, and uh he, he, was, he was a sight. He, the only reason he came to church was to play softball. He didn't care about the music, the preaching, anything else. He came to play softball because I had a rule. If you're going to play softball, you've got to come two out of four Sundays. And so uh, he came, and, and one day, I, I, for some reason, didn't play him like he wanted to get played or whatever. So he kind of got bad, lost his temper, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, I ran into him at a convenience store. And he said, I want to apologize to you. I know I haven't been in church in a long time. He said, you know... I, I, got a, I got a problem. He said, I, I want you to know I'm sorry because I was mad at you and I really shouldn't have been. I said, oh, man, cool. I don't worry about it. Not a problem. He said, you know, I'm, I have a drinking problem. I'm an alcoholic. He said, I, I, um, he said I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, here's what I, he said, I believe, you know, God, he said, I've always thought God made people to be church people and made people to be drunks. I said, dude, that's not true. That's not true, man. He said, well, I'm trying to figure it out. So I'm trying to figure it out. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to this thing where well, the 10 steps and I'm trying to figure out, I'm talking to the higher power. 
I said, dude, I'd like to talk to you about who the higher power is. We're in this store, and we're, we're carrying a conversation. He said, I'd like to talk to you sometime about that. I said, well, I want you to know who the higher power is, man. He has a name. His name's Jesus. Well, he walked on, and a couple of weeks passed, and that Sunday morning he was on the, sitting on the back row. And uh, shared the message and gave an invitation. And I've been praying for that guy from the time he started playing softball and knew he wasn't a believer. Had a chance to, you know, and God does things amazingly when you pray to make things happen. But uh, that Sunday morning, he came forward. And we begin a journey. I'd meet with him once a week. We'd play basketball because he liked to do sports. And we'd play basketball and we'd sit and talk. I said, you know, you're going to be baptized? I'm thinking about it. He said, I know. He said, you know, and I'm, I'm doing my, my meetings and I'm doing all this stuff. I said, cool. We prayed, we'd talk, and we'd have a good time. And then he said, after several weeks, I'm ready to be baptized. We baptized him and the whole time I've been praying, God, make sure he understands who you are and he needs the grace that will change his life. That began to happen. It happened in his life. We made a decision. He began to grow in grace. And the next thing you know, he, he don't, he's not going to the meetings. He said, Pastor, I'm done. I'm done. I'm good. Amen, brother. And then today he's serving on the staff in a church, and that's been about 29 years ago. prayer prayer sets the stage breaks through the barriers it really makes a difference who's on your list who you're praying for who you've been praying for who you need to pray for for you do pray as though their life depends on it because it does